Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good Wednesday afternoon to you, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you could join myself, John Grace, and my cohort in crime, Daniel Medina, my main math man here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. Uh, It's a wild Wednesday in terms of what's happening across the country again. And geez, there's just a lot going on. And we're going to focus on what it means to your money and what options you might have. Because as we say, you want to be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And frankly, based on uh, what I can tell, that's one of the reasons Daniel Medina and I are here, is that is because most of us are not prepared, okay? We're, we're either too busy putting our heads in the sand. And by the way, folks, you know, if we're putting our heads in the sand, that means we're exposing some very dear parts. So we do not recommend putting your heads in the sand. Uh, we want you to be uh, agile, alert, vigilant, and recognizing how bad it could get, and then you can determine how you might want to play the game. But it's helpful to know what the rules are and how to play the game to your advantage, where the referees are, where the lines are, keep the lights on, and let's figure out what we need to do so we can survive and thrive. We're going to cover three topics today. Uh, One is uh, how to convert or maybe whether or not you should convert your IRA to a Roth IRA, particularly in the light of the day that Biden's infrastructure plan passes. And then we'll look at some good news, five ways to build wealth without buying a home. So many of us think that the road to riches is through real estate. We'll compare and contrast the realities. And and by the way, great source here, but the real point is there isn't an agenda. In other words, oftentimes there are people with opinions, but they represent either the stock market or the real estate market. And so they, they don't do the math correctly. It's not complete. And they leave some important items out of the equation to come to the conclusion that what I have to sell you is the best thing you should buy. In fact, buy some more. So we'll look at it uh, on both sides of the equation. And, and as I say, there's some good news there. Don't feel have that fear of missing out if you're not in the neighborhood of buying a house. In fact, we'll talk about whether or not you might want to or when you might want to pass. And then uh, I love, uh, had a chance to be on a, uh, it was actually a broadcast. We had to fly into Baltimore, Baltimore. That was uh, none other than uh, legendary portfolio manager, Peter Lynch, arguably the one guy who made Fidelity a household name, thanks to his running Fidelity Magellan. And uh, Peter and I were on a panel before our peers, uh, my peers for the most part, 2,400 people across the country who tuned in to hear what we had to say. And one of the things that Peter is famous for is uh, know what you own and why you own it. We're using that to really concentrate on seeing what happens with margin calls. What happens when we borrow money to buy more stocks or or whatever? Uh, good on the upside, not so much on the downside. Most of it don't recognize that downside, and that's how we can get our 
assets in trouble, our assets in hot water. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use that one again. So we want you to see what how things can turn awry uh, as opposed to just believing that everything's just fine. Uh, all trees grow to the sky. Just, uh, you know, put your money on X, Y, blue, black, green, doesn't matter. You're, it's money's got to go to the, to the, to this clouds and you're going to go to heaven. It's just that simple, right? Until something breaks. So we want to be prepared for those things that do break often in the middle of the night. So before we get started on our topics, we like to bring you up to date in terms of what the market's doing for the year, not just for the day, because it's really kind of challenging at best to get a sense of the trends if we're looking at the last nanosecond and trying to decipher why the market has to be up or down. We think it's better to look at it at least daily and then annually and then over 5, 10, 15 year periods. But as I say, what we really want to be attentive to is how can we let the market go down like the Titanic, but not our assets participate at the same depth of the Titanic that's never able to see light at the end of the day. So when we look at the Dow, we see that it's been a very good run so far this year, up 10.43%. Positive day on the Dow. We are in record territory. We'll be talking about this later because uh, we think there are some things to look for in record territory that, again, most people are not looking for. All we're looking for, it's another up day, put more money in. And in fact, if it goes down a little bit, just buy the dips. That can work until it doesn't. (laughs) The S&P 500, also a good run year to date, uh, having a negative day on the S&P, but for the year, up 9.94%. And again, when I say the year, what I'm really referring to is from January 1, 2021, through today as of this exact moment. Markets close in about, what, uh, 53 minutes, but uh, strong year so far for the S&P 500, up nearly 10%. I mean, you know, geez, you used to have to wait a whole year to get that. We'll see if it holds. That'll be interesting to watch. But uh, to get a, nearly a 10% return uh, so far this year is not bad at all. And then when we look at the NASDAQ composite, who, which was last year's darling, this year's dog compared to the S&P and the Dow, interestingly enough, having not a good day, off 136 points almost, year-to-date up 7.81%. So there appears to be, at least so far this year, uh, the darling, as I say, last year, NASDAQ stock, uh, tech stocks, is not performing well this year. And one of the things we're going to suggest that you look for is how the NASDAQ in particular, how that picture plays out. In other words, what we have seen in the past, particularly 2000 to 2002, it was the NASDAQ that had a magnificent run up something like 400% in the last five years of the 90s, as I recall, versus the Dow and the S&P up 200%. I mean, that means, you know, 100,000 and NASDAQ grew to 400,000 from roughly 95, 96 through 99, January of 2000. And the Dow and S&P up both about 200%. So 100,000 grew to 200,000 in roughly the same five-year period. Those are all great numbers, but clearly four to one is better than two to one. Again, both of the, all of those numbers are good numbers. But then the, the NASDAQ, tripped over itself, starting with the smallest stocks and then the largest uh, tech companies. And the, uh, you know, we saw the, uh, the, the sandcastle come crumbly down. Uh, in about 30 months, the uh, NASDAQ was 
down 80%. So to do the math, if you had 100 grand on the NASDAQ or mid 90s, by 1999, you had 400,000, but an 80% loss to 400,000 is what? Minus 320,000, leaving your balance at 80,000. And for my peers who like to say yes, but it came back, it sure did. It just took about 15 years. So that's part of what we like to suggest to folks that we look at some of these occasions that have happened. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the, around the corner, but we all can agree that maybe the future doesn't uh, replicate itself 100%, but it does rhyme. And we need to be prepared for this to see what we can do to limit our losses to stay in the game as a hope, as to opposed to hoping for that Hail Mary pass just to get back to even, or a time frame that may be longer than um, we might like or we want to be uh, experiencing. So how can we keep the losses limited less than the, as, as deep as the hole? Can we fill in with some dirt? Can we keep the hole more shallow as opposed to deeper? That is the question. And that's what, the, what we like to do to help people see how they can answer that question to uh, their satisfaction and to their parameters in terms of how they look at things and how they can stay engaged in the game as opposed to feeling like, oh my goodness, uh, my account's been crushed. I just have to die because I don't have enough money and I'm afraid I won't have enough money because it doesn't look like it's coming back in soon enough for me. So let's turn our attention here to converting your IRA. It seems like this is getting some, some attention right now, Daniel, uh, because of the uh, Biden's infrastructure plan that, that looks like it could pass. And a lot of people are using that as their catalyst to say, now might be a good time to move money from a traditional retirement account, be it an IRA, 401k, 403b, uh, to a Roth IRA. Uh, what are your thoughts on this so far, Daniel? I love it. I, I always think it's a good time to, to, to make this a consideration. I think everyone should should have this in the back of their mind uh, of moving money from traditional accounts to Roth accounts. Um, now it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's becoming more important. The reason it's getting a little more play is the tax plan um, is really going to increase corporate taxes from 21% to 28%. There hasn't been much mention, if any mention, about raising individuals' taxes. The challenge is, I think we all know it's going to come. At some point, the taxes are going to go up for us. We're historically low um, and we're spending, when I say we, I mean the, the country is spending a whole lot of money just to keep things going. So the money's got to come from somewhere. And if the bulk of the of taxpayers are individuals in middle America, so that's where likely it's, it's going to have to come from. So the reason it makes sense to start thinking about conversions before taxes go up is you're going to pay less tax on that conversion. Now, what a conversion is, for those of you who don't aren't familiar, is taking pre-tax retirement money, like in your traditional 401k or traditional IRA, and moving it over to a Roth where you pay the tax up front, it grows tax-free, like in a traditional account, but then it comes out tax-free when you take the money out. That could be a huge benefit for people later. Now, now, we're assuming, of course, that taxes are going to stay the same or more. we think more likely they're going to go up. If taxes were to be lower sometime in the future, then it wouldn't be as strong a bet. But we're also trying to say, deal with what is known, right? You got to play with where the ball lies. So if you can put certainty in the equation and look to see to pay the taxes, you're done, right? 
But uh, yeah, we're assuming that tax rates are going to go up, not just because of the infrastructure plan, as Daniel's uh, conveying, it, they need to go up. We were surprised they went down, but the government hasn't been collecting enough money for, for some time now. And, and, and let me say this, and I'll, I'll turn it back over to Daniel, and that is, let's, let's talk for a minute about history, folks, because as I say, most of us don't learn history, primarily because we as Americans are too busy repeating it. So let's uh, look back at when Reagan was in office. Again, it's not a red, blue, uh, Democrat, Republican. We're just looking at the way it was. But if you're a husband and wife earning in a neighborhood of $200,000 in the early 80s, your federal tax bracket alone was 70%. Nobody remembers that. And you were there, right? And and what you don't remember, because maybe you weren't there, but again, it's healthy to learn from history. We saw tax rates peak again at the federal level alone around World War II was north of 90%. So when people complain about taxes, I'm saying, well, which would you prefer, the way they are now or the way they were in our history? I'll take now. So what seems to be kind of making this look more interesting to people right now, Daniel? It's, it's what you said, it's the potentially lower tax today. I think you're right. Uh, we, don't, we don't know where taxes are going to be 30 years from now or 20 or even next year, really. Right. But the, it's, there's, something, there's something to be said for certainty. And I'm a big fan of certainty. When you do the conversion today, you take that uncertainty out of the equation. It doesn't matter what taxes are in 20 years because you've already paid them. From a math standpoint, it's always better to pay it at a lower rate. So if you could tell me when taxes are going to be lowest, I could tell you exactly when to do the conversion. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. Unfortunately, that is never going to be the case. So we know they're historically low and we know there's potential for it to go up. So that makes it a big, that that could make a big case for for, um, doing a conversion now. And ideally, it might, for a lot of people, I think it makes sense to have both accounts, traditional and Roth. That way it gives you the option to take taxes out. If, I, if, if taxes go down at some point in the future and you have a pre-tax retire, pre-tax retirement account, then it might make more sense to take it from there and, and keep your tax-free money um, on the sideline. Well, and it's, uh, again, learning from what we have observed, right? The uh, financial planning industry, along with the accounting industry, uh, Daniel and I have attended a couple of workshops where this is a CPA who calls traditional retirement accounts tax infested investments. And the reason for that is he says, look, your industry and my industry have almost been in collusion, if you will, telling people to put every dollar they can in a pre-tax position because you're able to deduct the contribution and you're able to enjoy tax deferred growth. That's true. And in fact, to the extent that you're trying to save with after-tax dollars versus before-tax dollars, on average, before tax dollars wins by about 30% more money to your account value. That's not bad. But here's the part of the equation we forget to leave out, which you should know. And that's what happens when you start taking withdrawals. Uh, Right now, the age with which you must start taking withdrawals is now 72. It was up until recently 70. And I believe the ratio is about the same 3.65% of the previous year's balance. But notice if you've got longevity on your side and you're getting into your 90s, you may find that the withdrawal rate is north of 10%. And I can tell you when we watch clients get into their 80s, they kind of have a fit and they're mad as hell because they're like, well, I don't really want this money. I certainly don't want all of it. And I'd rather not take it, but the government's making me take it. And in fact, my account is down this year. I had to take out more last year 
because the account was higher then than it is now. I don't like this. So we're not, we, clearly, we can't fix it then, <laughs> all right? But uh, what's happening with a lot of people is they are uh, saving a lot of cash. And in many cases, it's sitting in cash. They're not sure what they're going to do with it. But what we will do with our clients is help them see what schedule they're on from the standpoint of what taxes are going to pay over, let's say, the next 25 years, assuming they're going to be around for the next 25 years, so they can see the total tax versus paying the tax today. Now, that's not an all or nothing proposition. So many times people get a little more comfortable with the whole concept when they say, well, I, I don't want to pay, write a check to the IRS for $25,000 uh, right now, we'll say, okay, we'll put you on the five-year plan. <laughs> Every year, you are only paying $5,000, which you can stomach, but you ultimately are going to pay $25,000. Understand that rates might be higher in the third, fourth, or fifth year. Who knows? But it makes it more palatable to limit the amount of taxes that you're paying. But now you know you have moved this money from a position that is always going to be taxed no matter what. The required minimum distributions go up every year, no matter what. You're moving it to a place where you have already paid the tax, and now no one's looking over your shoulder, declaring that you must take withdrawals at any rate, and nor are they saying, the IRS is saying, you have to increase your withdrawals. It's completely at your discretion. So you can leave it there, you can spend it, it's, it's, it's your money, it's your, completely your call, as opposed to the traditional accounts or retirement accounts, now you have a meter running, if you will, that gets inched up every year in terms of what the withdrawals you might you must take. So where you used to be in a position where you could pretty conveniently buy and hold or buy the dips, now you have to take money out. You're typically not putting money in and you must increase those withdrawals. It's a whole new ballgame. Okay. So um, yeah, we think that uh, that that's a something to consider. Sit down with your financial advisor. Uh, sit down with your tax preparer and look to see what kind of what kind of schedule you're on to pay the taxes as you take those withdrawals. We'll leave it there. We will come back to our second conversation right after a short break. We'll be right here in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina here. So glad you could spend uh, 60 minutes with us on another wild and wacky Wednesday. But uh, glad you're here so that we can uh, give you some pointers that we think make all the sense in the world. And and by the way, um, we're going to pick up with uh, one of the kind of patterns that we see with people say, I just got to get by on less. So we'll, we'll talk about that. That's not the plan we're going to endorse for you. But uh, we have written a book. I wrote a book, uh, Making Finance Make Sense. If you'd like a copy in the Kindle version by giving us your email address, we'll make sure that Amazon sends you that copy in the Kindle edition at no charge as a gift. Just appreciate any kind comments you can make on Amazon and or eBay so that I can uh, recognize my goal this year of getting that book on the bestsellers list. And then uh, we are providing financial planning services at no cost for any frontline or essential worker in the country. We're not aware of another company in the country that is doing such work, but it's our way of saying we really appreciate you frontline workers who don't have the ability to work from home. You have um, taken your lives and put them on the line every day to keep our asses safe, if you will, and we're going to do what we can to keep your assets safe. So if you have a, if you are a frontline worker, if you know of those folks, uh, we're happy to sit down with them in 90 minutes and help them put a financial plan together. Typically, from what we can determine, the cost for that on average in the country is about $2,000. And our plans, we think, are very complete from the standpoint of how much money you're going to need to make work optional on your time frame. Two, if something happens to either breadwinner, they one of them goes to heaven, married or not, how will the survivor know? I used to have four hands to keep all this stuff and all these things uh, in, you know, above uh, drowning. How am I going to do this with just two hands? So oftentimes it's by making sure the same kind of income is happening that you need to keep life the way it was. And then the third piece is uh, you've got children. Uh, let's make sure we put together a number of ways that the, you can see that these kids can graduate college. And then let's go to the graduation and cry our eyeballs out for the fact that they were able not only to finish, but they finish with nobody having any debt. Uh, because it's not fun when Daniel and I are working with uh, younger people who have fifty, eighty, a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, uh, trying to live. It's just uh, it, for them. It is. Uh, it's just not. It's. It's unfathomable. It's certainly untasteable, and uh, you know, it's just something that you don't want to do, and, and it can be avoided. So, Daniel, you know, um, we see this pattern with people where I'm just going to get by on less. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, I think it's a very logical. Um, kind of rationale. People, when we're talking about retirement and specifically income retirement, people always make the assumption that I'm going to have less income in retirement, so I'm going to pay less tax, so my my tax rate will be lower. Well, 
that's that's logical because you're going from working to not working. But as planners, from our from our perspective, why would we plan for you to have a lower standard of living at any point in life, spe- any point in life, specifically in retirement? Why would we plan for that? Let's plan for you to have the same standard of living or a better standard of living when you retire. That way, you can maintain everything and, and keep your lifestyle going. I think that's always a flaw in people's thinking. They kind of just set, set the bar so low that they just they, they figure what they'll just get by on whatever they get. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've only been in the securities business since 1979. Uh, and at that time, we would do planning and, and ask people, would they be okay with an income of 70 to 80%, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the future? They go, oh, yeah, sure, we'll be fine. Well, I've got news for you. 10, 20, 30 years in the future, you know, being in it since 1979, now 41 years, we have these people where that was the plan, but guess what? The reality is it doesn't work. They don't want to spend at 80%. They'd rather spend at 100%. So we're going to say, let's make your first choice, your first goal. What can we do to have the same income? Come show up. If you want to spend less, that would be your prerogative. But you know, if you're used to spending a hundred grand and you have to adjust to seventy-five thousand, people don't seem to really like that. They don't really enjoy it. And the other thing that's fascinating is notice when you're working, or at least not that long ago, no matter what your income was, if you owned a house, you had a mortgage, you were able to deduct that mortgage. You were making contributions to your both of your 401ks or IRAs or 403bs, uh, you are making deductible contributions. Well, now let's suppose that tax rates go up, right? When you're retired, your deductions went to zero and you could be making less money and paying more tax and living below where you were living. So you got to keep your eyes on those moving balls like taxes and really what the income that works for you might be. Look at that annually so that you could make the appropriate adjustments. That way, like with one couple we did some work for, uh, we use as an example, they're mid-30s. They're accustomed to an income of 100 grand. They'd like to keep that kind of income in retirement. And now they see that they need about $2.6 million. That requires putting in $1,300, $15,000 a year, 15% of 100 grand, getting a 7% return. And now they can see that they're on track, but that has to be reviewed annually. And then once we get to the 2.6, again, that's just providing the income, uh, including a modest pension and Social Security at 70, you know, make, to, looking for the difference, uh, doing the math to make up that difference. And now we want to live at this level, you know, same $100,000 for the next 10, 20, 30 years. That becomes the new target and then the work that has to be done, but you just can't say, uh, set it and forget it. It doesn't work that way. And heaven forbid you wake up and uh, remember back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, interest rates were, I'm sorry, inflation was double digits, 14, 15, 16%. <laughs> right now we're hearing about uh, some scares about inflation. We don't see double digit inflation. We don't think inflation is going to be a problem, but you need to keep your eye on that ball because when we're looking at timber prices and food prices, for example, that's kind of the lowest common denominator. For, for whatever reason, uh, there seems to be some inflation creeping into the equation. This can get out of whack. And certainly, maybe, maybe even more importantly, it's about investors' expectations. So if we expect inflation to turn bad, uh, sometimes we lead with that and then it follows. And now the Fed has to do what it can. And at some point, and, and we'll talk about this, you know, the Fed runs out of bullets. I mean, they're going to 
do everything they can to keep things going. That's the job that they're doing. But at the end of the day, the Fed cannot out-trump, sorry, uh, father time and mother nature. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So, and, and, and again, <clears throat> keep in mind, globally, we suddenly have more people 65 and older than five and younger. Life is different when you're on the declining side as opposed to approaching your 30s and your 40s where there's peak spending. Now it's just different. So let's talk about uh, how people can get rich uh, without buying a home. And much of this comes from, from Yahoo Finance. And I think you've identified, uh, was it five different ways that uh, people can get rich without buying a home, Daniel? What's number one? Well, before that, I want to touch on something. I think it's fascinating here and here specifically. I'm not sure if this is all over the country, but specifically here in California, people think the only way to get rich, the absolutely only way to get rich is to buy real estate. Yes. Because that's what people, a lot of people have done and that's what they see their parents do. So they think that's the only way to do it. And, and what they do is they buy something and then they wait for it to go up a little bit. Then they take the equity out and they buy something else. Then they do that again and then again. And yes. that's often often a pattern that is unsustainable and very, very risky. People don't well, understand how risky that can be. Yeah. And, and folks, I was just having this conversation with my son, Matthew, you know, because he's doing well and he could buy a house. And he's like, well, real estate's always gone up. I go, well, let's be sure we understand the, contra the, the combination that has to be in place for real estate to always go up. One, you need appreciation. And two, you need leverage. So, you know, if you're buying a million dollar house, and you're only coming up with 10% down. And let's say it goes up over some period of time at 10%. Well, that's another 100 grand. So you've doubled your money. That's great. But let's suppose the same house for whatever reason. And by the way, from 1900 to 1940, guess what? Real estate values in these United States was underwater. That's right, underwater for 40 years. So we need to look at these things because could it happen again for reasons we don't imagine? And please do not do what some people are fond of doing. Well, I was, that was so long ago, that'll never happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> History may not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So don't just discount it because you're, you're discounting what could happen in some way, but we should be learning from it. So imagine being in some investment that never went up for a 30, 40 year period. That's kind of hard to imagine. And yet we have some examples of real estate that did has been Japan real estate has not come back from its high of 1991. Uh, that's from 1991. That's now 30 years. <laughs> and notice if you were 50 in 1991, you're now 80. What do you think? Is this going to come back anytime soon? I don't think so. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But certainly, you're not as fond of that investment if you keep hoping that the equity comes back that you really took for granted. So your point's well taken. You know, it, 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 things go up for reasons, and they go down for reasons. But if all we've known is for things to go up, like rents and appreciation on property, we expect that to continue. And clearly, we all know that when the music on the carousel stops, everybody has to get off. So now that we've established it doesn't always go up, despite people's perspective, and we've got a comparison for you here in terms of how real estate is done, assuming you bought it all cash over a 34-year period uh, as compared to stocks, which, which actually compares favorably with the work we've done in the research team. Different numbers, different time periods, but the results were similar. So what's our first way of uh, uh, taking advantage of uh, 
how we can get rich without buying real estate? Well, the first one is uh, taking advantage of reduced rents during the pandemic. And it's fascinating when you're looking at some cities around the country, rents have really plummeted. In cities like San Francisco, New York, and Seattle, rents have gone down. And those are in particular cities where, where rents really skyrocketed, so did real estate. So for the most part, the ones that go up the most are going to come down the most. But it's take advantage of that. Don't be scared to, to rent just because you're hypothetically throwing money away on rent. Um, if the rent is low, if you can get a good price, that is a great advantage. It gives you more cash flow. Beautiful. How about number two? Find better investments. Now, I was fascinated to see that there's a 2010 Fed report that shows the actual rate of return on real estate between 1975 and 2009 was 0%. What? See, this is what I'm saying, folks. We don't study these things. And this, this is a conversation I was also having with my son, Matthew, just Sunday. And he's like, well, you know, they chose this particular time frame. That's unfair. I'm like, no, they happened to do the work in 2010. But this is from the Federal Reserve. If that's not a credible source, I don't know what is. There's no more credible source. So it just so happens that they picked that particular time frame, 1975 to 2009. And they say that the return was below Zero percent. Remember, we just talked about that 40-year period where real estate values were underwater in these United States. And then they went on to, to, to talk about the stock market for the same uh, 75 to 2009 timeframe, but they included looking at taxes and inflation. What was the return for that period of time, according to the Fed study, Daniel? Oh, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. What was it? 3.375%. So you had below zero for real estate and three, nearly 3.4% annualized for the stock market from 1975 to 2010. And let's keep one more thing um, in, uh, at top of mind, and that is uh, real estate did not suffer in 08 as badly as the stock market suffered from peak to trough. So while this account does include the declines of real estate, as my son pointed out, it also includes the declines for the stock market. So again, this is, this is a good report and it just happened to be uh, done in 2010. We're just now seeing it, it, but it tells a story vastly different than what most of us believe. What about when you want to- Well, yeah. before, we, before we go to that, I, okay. I think it's really important. People, people often think of their primary home as an investment. Yes. And I think that's flawed logic. It's, it's not that it can't be an investment. It's that it's a use asset. Your primary home is where you live. Touche. If you think of it as an investment, what, you're gonna, what you need to do is be willing to sell it when the, price, when the, the selling price makes sense. Buy low, sell willing, high? That's, that's the idea. Oh, if you're if you're not willing to do that, then it's not an investment. And oftentimes people aren't willing to do that. They'll buy it and they'll, they'll, they'll they buy it because they need a bigger place for kids or it's close to the school that, the, that they want to go to or it's close to their work. So if if they're not willing to sell it, it's not really an investment. You know, and to your point, you're reminding me of some good neighbors, uh, two attorneys uh, on their two and a quarter acres, and we sold ours and they waited. See, when it comes to stocks, people get it, get me out of there. I'm out. Let me put my money someplace else. When it comes to real estate, there's such emotional attachment. So what we witnessed with these two attorney 
former neighbors, is that uh, there was a price for the property that sold. These folks thought about it for a year. And guess what? By the time they sold, they got 50% less. So if it makes sense that you buy low, sell high, that always makes sense. But if you don't get your money, how can you get the satisfaction? It's kind of like that that the fish story, right? The one that got away. I mean, do you want me to tell you about the fish that got away? It's kind of like, yeah, I went to Vegas and we didn't lose any money. Uh-huh, sure. Uh, but if you're going to, you know, ca- uh, fish, we want to catch the fish and eat the fish or say we threw it back in. But if all we talk about is how we missed out, uh, nobody has any, any uh, pity for you when you bought a house for a million dollars. Your neighbor sold it for over two and you got just what you put in it back at a million dollars. <laughs> that would not be a story anybody wants to tell. No, no, it's really not. And it's fin- finishing what I was saying is it, it, it's you buy a house because you have a need for it. Yes. You, you, there's a specific need you're trying to satisfy. If it's an investment, the only thing that really matters is why you're buying it is you're going to make money on it. Yes. Those are two and, very different reasons to buy a house. And if you're not capturing the money that you made on it, it wasn't an investment. It's definitely not an investment. <laughs> so let it be a use asset. And I think that's what a lot of people are going to wake up to. The, these houses are expensive and we don't account for all the costs that we forget right? The hot water heater, the, the garage door opener, uh, the redoing the landscaping or even the security system. We don't count those funds. And if we do the work ourselves, we don't count the time that we would have paid a professional to do the work that we did for free. We wouldn't do it for free for anybody else either. So we will come back with the three other reasons or three other ways you can amass a fortune without necessarily buying a home when we come back right after this quick message. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medita here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. Glad you could spend an hour of your valuable time with us. And this is what we do on every Wednesday to look out there and try to give you some information that you can use so that you can survive and thrive no matter what. That's our goal. It may not be your reality, but that's what we're trying to do. Okay, just so that you, you know that. And right now we're looking at the five different ways people can accumulate wealth without necessarily having to buy a house. It's it's not the only way. And in fact, there's some other ways to go. So I think we, we got through the first two. Daniel, what's number three? Well, you you started to allude to this before the break. And what people don't often realize is when you're buying a house, there's a lot of costs that go with it. It's not just the mortgage. It's also the insurance. And you may also have homeowner's insurance and mortgage insurance. It's interest. It's property taxes. It's maintenance. There's a lot of expense that goes into owning a house. And people don't often think about that when 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 they're buying when they're buying a house. Think and they're about, not recoupable, right? They're, you can't recover those costs. No, never. Once Property they're gone, taxes. You're no, not they're gone. They're gone. That. No, there's no there's no deduction on it. There's no tax deduction on it. They're gone. Right. Um, think about something simple like uh, like a roof. Yes. God forbid you need to replace a roof. In my neighborhood, my neighbors just spent, I believe, twenty thousand dollars to replace their roof. And this was not a big house. This was on not a huge house. I think 1,800 square feet. And it's, it's not a big house. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's not. And it's, it's, it's a lot of money. A lot of and money. I, you know, for most people, that would have to be something that they borrow money to get done or they take money out of their house to get done. There's just no other option for them because for the most part, people don't have that kind of cash laying around. But you're not going to sell the house for $20,000 more to recover the $20,000 you just put in the house. It doesn't work that way. It's <laughs> not a value add. It's not a, a roof- pool. <laughs> a roof is a standard thing on a house. It's either has it or it doesn't. You you may take you may you'll get less money if you need to replace it or if it doesn't have a roof, but you're not going to get more money for just having a roof or replacing your roof. Yeah, nobody's impressed. <laughs> no, it's it doesn't add value to it. So there's a lot of expenses into owning a house. People don't people don't realize that. So if you're renting, all those expenses essentially go away. They, you just don't have them. You don't care if you need a new roof if you're renting. That's the landlord's problem. You don't care if the water heater goes out. You just call the landlord. So those are all those expenses you save. And so one of the things you could do is pay down debt with that money that you're saving by renting and not owning. Mm-hmm. That's always a good idea. Debt, that's what we're trying to say. Look, you know, borrowing money is great on things that can appreciate when they do appreciate. But what was your friend becomes your foe when there is depreciation and those things happen from time to time. So don't just think that I'm going to borrow this money and make it back. Uh, suppose you don't. Most people have, have, bad, have too much debt or irresponsible debt. And that's not a horrible thing. It's not something to be scared of, but it's something to use wisely. If it's abused, like most things, then it can be very dangerous. And most people simply have too much of it and the wrong kind of debt, credit card debt, which is high interest and doesn't and revolving. So you can just keep borrowing it. 
Right. So instead of instead of paying instead of paying things like the homeowner's insurance, use that money to pay down pay down some of that bad debt that most people have. All right. And so number four. What, yeah. Some a way to invest that's better, maybe. Well, you can invest in yourself. Ah, that might be better. Take some of that saved money and maybe go back to school or learn a trade or, or do something to better your, your own job or uh, imp- do something to improve your life or p- your earning potential going forward. It's always a good idea, right? Because you never know. I mean, you know, I, I have to, this is, this is interesting. I think it helps put things in perspective. I enjoyed going to school and, and being a proofreader for the LA Times. I was just talking to one of the publishers here in town yesterday about the good old days. And, and I really enjoyed that. I kind of like words. I kind of like English. And being a proofreader was something I could do. And then they came along, the LA Times came along with something called a computer, which means all the proofreaders were no longer needed. Ah, so if you're relying on that job for the rest of your life, guess what? It's gone. And it's not somebody who took that job from you. It's technology that took that job for you. So yes, we need you're to- You're never getting that one back. Never. That's not coming back for anybody. I don't care how good you're looking or how rich you might be. That job is done. It's bait. It's gone. It's history. So we better catch the next wave or catch the next stage because um, clearly that stage has run its life expectancy. So yeah, investing yourself is always a good idea. And then what about number five? Shop for deals. So this is something you could, you could potentially use to improve your lifestyle. So instead of taking that money and spending it, spending it on the mortgage insurance or maintenance, maybe, maybe do something for yourself that's going to that's gonna make you happier, a vacation or something, something that's going to improve your lifestyle. And by the way, we'll go back to this Federal Reserve report because I love the title. The title is, uh, again, 2010 Federal Reserve, American Dream or American Obsession when it comes to home real estate, owning a home, right? I love that question because I think they they really wrote that one well to kind of capture most of us are in for the obsession and it feels great as long as there's appreciation. But uh, most of us are not prepared for any time frame where there's going to be a consistent decline and maybe not a recovery soon enough to both the value of property along with the rents on those properties. Because you haven't seen that happen over the last 40 years means you're probably unprepared for it to happen. It has happened in our past in more than one country. We think it's going to happen in the future starting soon. But again, you want to make these kind of decisions with your eyes wide open. Speaking of our eyes wide open, we're seeing a pattern that so many investors, particularly millennials, started investing heavily, buying individual stocks with uh, the government money, whatever money they were receiving, couldn't go to the track, can't go to Vegas. So let's just buy stocks. And they've all seen some magnificent appreciation since March 23rd, 2020 through today. But many of them, uh, if this is what got our attention, investors borrowed a record 722 billion dollars against their investment portfolios. So margin balances have reached a new record high as an increasing class of affluent Americans borrowed against their portfolio investments to buy more stock. Uh, By the way, when we've seen these kind of events happen in the past, like 2000 and 2008, where everybody that could was borrowing money to buy more stock, for example, or more um, cryptocurrencies, that has in the past often been a precursor to significant declines. 
And like we're saying, as long as there's appreciation, nobody, everybody's fine. It's when there's depreciation. And in fact, like you, going back to the house, you have a first and then you get a second, a third or a fourth. You keep borrowing for the roof and this, that and the other. And then you miss one payment and then you can't catch the second payment. Now the house of cards comes crumbling down right before you at your feet and you've got to go. So uh, what do you say about that? Well, explain, Daniel, how this margin debt works. Because I don't think a lot of people, even those who have accepted the debt because it looks like, oh, I can invest uh, 50000 but now I can actually invest 100000 That's That's great, again, on the upside. What, how does that work on the downside? Well, what margin is, it's, you're essentially you're borrowing money um, to buy a stock. So you can leverage that stock and, and buy more of it. Let's say, let's say you own $50,000 of some stock. You can take a margin on it and be able to, to, to take out half of it, $25,000, and go buy more stock with it. Now, you're leveraging what you have to buy more of it. That's essentially what a margin is. Now, the, the way it can go against you is if the, the stocks you own go down. What does that mean? Your, let's say, a $50,000 investment that you had goes to 40000 or okay. 30000 now you have to maintain a specific ratio in your margin account for the bank that gave you the, the, the margin or gave you the loan to, to, to maintain that margin. If it drops below that, they need some money and it's typically 50%. So if you, if you have a $50,000 account and you borrow 25,000 against it and your investments drop, now your ratio's off. You've still borrowed that 25,000, but your account value is not 50 now, now it's 30. So they are going to want some money, some money dropped in that account to maintain your mortgage balance, or they're going to want to have some of that paid back. If you so, don't have that money, or if the investments that you bought have gone down as well, you are in some trouble because you're not going to be able to maintain that account. Well, so let's see. Not only in this scenario, and I think in many cases, the typical margin requirement is 25%. So you invest your money and let's suppose the market moves against you, and now you own the bank or the securities firm that loaned you that money. So you have to come up with more money over and above your original investment to cover the market losses along with the loan amount that was due. Is that how this works? Yes. Yes, essentially yes. Okay, that will not be fun. And when I say will, I'm saying it on purpose because I think a lot of people are cruising for a bruising. As I say, well, as long as, as, long these, as, yeah. as long as market, if markets always go up, it'll never be an issue. Who cares? Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. Markets go through full cycles, which means we experience bear markets and pullbacks and 20% drops and 50% drops. It's, at some point, it's going to happen. And for the last year, or more specifically, the last uh, 11 years, we've, we've been in a very large bill market and, and markets have just keep going up and up and up. But at some point, it has to pull back. And if it pulls back, say tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hurt because they're not going to have the cash to, to cover those balances. Yeah, the investors who are in this modality are chasing bigger gains, which is exposing them to potentially devastating losses thanks to their riskier plays. You know, the more debt, the more risk. Uh, and that includes concentrated positions, uh, trading options and leveraging uh, ETFs or exchange-traded funds. And uh, the milestone is not a good sign for the stock market since, as I say, 
margin debt records often preceded market volatility, as we all witnessed in 2000 and 2008. So, uh, you know, it may turn out to be much like, uh, you know, one of my favorite cartoon characters, Wiley Coyote and uh, Roadrunner, right? They run off the surface, hang in the balance for <laughs> what looks like a minute or two. And now it's how low can we go? Uh, and that's where people get not only bruised, but certainly devastated. Yeah, it's where it's where people get can can really get devastated, and, and they just don't plan for that. And it's not that it's not that margins or leverage is a bad thing. Like anything, it has to be done responsibly. And most people just don't know. I'm gonna say most when I say most people, I specifically mean new investors because that's that's where a large chunk of this is coming from. I think they don't understand the risks that are really involved, so they over leverage themselves. And it's not something to be scared of, but it's something to to you should know what you're doing before you start it. So really, you should leave it to, to the professionals or do it on a small piece of money that you can manage. Well, and that's the point. If you're going to do it, make it a small account that doesn't hurt so bad because the bigger the account, the bigger the hurt, okay? And we just saw those who were extended, for example, uh, many investors lost money this year when oil prices turned negative. I mean, who was ready for that? Uh, and shares of Eastman Kodak took a sharp fall after news that its chairman received stock options one day before the announcement of a government loan to help the company make drugs. These are, these are outliers. These are events. There's no way in the world you can see. If you keep your bet small, you can let these events take place without feeling like uh, or without the, the recognition of significant losses being overextended and being in a, a world of hurt. If we make the bigger bet, because only thing we've seen is every bet I've made, I've made money on. That's kind of like going to Vegas, isn't it? And thinking that you know what the next card's going to be. <laughs> Only it, maybe it worked the last half hour and all of a sudden your ruck ran out <laughs> and now you get a bad card and you have to leave all those money, all that chip on the table and, and tell everybody you had a great time. We're just trying to keep you in chips, if you will, as opposed to watching your assets get handed to you, which I'm afraid is... Uh, <laughs> They're going to be the experience of way too many people, which won't be any fun at all. We're just trying to warn you about the good, the bad, and the unforeseen so that maybe you make better decisions. One final comment, Daniel? When I'm talking to people, I, I, like, I, like, to make it as, I like to make sure they know that it's the distinction between their safe money and their play money. The big money and the small money, because every, everyone wants to hit the home run. That's, that's all people really want to talk about for the most part. What's going to make me the most money? What's going to make you the most money is also going to lose you the most money. That's the way it works. So make a distinction between your play money and your safe money. And for me, a lot of times I'm comfortable with people if they're using, if the play money is no more than 10% of their liquid net worth. So it's kind of like you're watching your favorite sports team, right? Uh, and let's say it's football and they're in the game and then all of a sudden they're down by, uh, you know, seriously down. And do you really want to depend on a Hail Mary pass? All right. The, la the, 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 the three pointer at the end of the game. Do you want to depend on that? Now, if you get it, you'll enjoy it. But we want to keep you, as I say, in the game so that you don't have to help pray for a Hail Mary pass that may or may not be in your immediate future. So we're going to leave it there, folks. This is uh, my cohort, uh, my favorite math man, Daniel Medina, and myself, John Grace, here at Fiscal Fitness. We'll be right back here next Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. We look forward to seeing you then. Stay safe. <laughs> Thank you.
you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.